Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is my A new band of Trump loyalists, 11 Republican senators, current and incoming, deliver a controversial ultimatum. Voter fraud is a real problem. Led by Texas Senator Ted Cruz, the group says they will object to Joe Biden's Electoral College victory unless Congress creates a new Electoral Commission to conduct an emergency 10-day audit of the election returns. Wednesday, Congress will carry out the tradition of certifying the Electoral College results state by state. Missouri Republican Senator Josh Hawley and a group of House Republicans had already announced plans to object. The president tweeted praise. After they see the facts, plenty more to come. Our country will love them for it. They rigged our presidential election, but we will still win it. We will still win it. But Democrats call it dangerously unpatriotic. This is undemocratic, it's un-American, but fortunately for all of us, it will be unsuccessful. With his Twitter megaphone, President Trump is inviting his supporters to march in Washington Wednesday. But other Republicans are coming forward to defy the Cruz game plan, to say they will uphold Biden's victory. This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa podcast. Happy New Year, folks, and welcome to 2021. We made it. Thank fucking God. The year that would never end managed to just barely limp across the finish line, no matter how badly Donald Trump has tried to keep us trapped in his MAGA dungeon. Fortunately, you can't stop time. But you can delay the inevitable and drive everyone fucking insane. So, like a fart in the wind, Trump wafted up from Mar-a-Lago on New Year's Eve, returning early from his Florida vacation to solidify his plans to disrupt the January 6th congressional certification of Joe Biden's presidential victory. While this is a sad and disconcerting development, it is utterly meaningless in terms of changing the outcome of the election. It will merely gum up the works for a few hours, allowing 2024 GOP presidential hopefuls like Josh Hawley the opportunity to support a Trump coup while they all preen before the cameras and raise their profiles amongst diehard MAGA supporters. I mean, somebody has to stand up here. You've got 74 million Americans who feel disenfranchised, who feel like their vote doesn't matter. And this is the one opportunity that I have as a United States senator. This process right here, my one opportunity to stand up and say something. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. In a likely preview of the presidential race to come, Nebraska Senator Ben Sass is positioning himself as the voice of reason to Hawley's insurrectionist bomb thrower, calling the plot by GOP extremists a dangerous ploy led by lawmakers who are playing with fire. 
In an angry letter to his constituents, Sass became the first Republican senator to publicly condemn the act, saying it was intended to disenfranchise millions of Americans. Adding, let's be clear what is happening here. We have a bunch of ambitious politicians who think there's a quick way to tap into the president's populist base without doing any real long-term damage. But they're wrong. And this issue is bigger than anyone's personal ambitions. And we're, what we're seeing here is a never-ending downward spiral into delusion and unreality and into just lies about the integrity of our, our democracy. And that, that is profoundly dangerous. These individuals are seeking to advance their own political careers in, and do so at the, at the expense of trust in our democracy. They're fomenting these lies, fomenting these fears of, of, of an illegitimate election, and they're doing so for their own political benefit. And it's destructive of democracy. It's, it's horrible. And nobody's ever done this before. This could be the first shot fired in the coming GOP civil war that will pit institutionalist Republicans like Ben Sass against the Trumpian wing of the party. Josh Hawley is making a bet that MAGA voters will keep score to see who votes for whom and reward those most loyal to Donald Trump. This includes 140 of the most extreme GOP House representatives, led by Louis Gohmert of Texas, who filed a lawsuit against Vice President Mike Pence trying to invalidate the 1880s law that governs the Electoral College vote, a move aimed at getting a judge to inform the Veep, and that doesn't have to accept the electoral votes. Pence, though, was having none of this insanity and asked that his name be removed from the lawsuit. Uh, this lawsuit is a crackpot lawsuit filed by a crackpot member of Congress, and it's going straight in the trash can. Finally, after more than 60 straight court losses, there was one last Hail Mary from the world's worst legal team. On Thursday, the Trump campaign filed yet another Supreme Court challenge this time in Wisconsin, and based yet again on zero evidence and batshit insane legal theories. Serenity now! Donald Trump is the Grinch who stole New Year's, returning to Washington to give the nation one more kick in the balls before the stroke of midnight. Just the news that he was returning early from Palm Beach sent my blood pressure through the roof. It's fitting for a man who has zero empathy for other people to look at this moment of collective anxiety and decide to double the fuck down on his destructive strategy. The New York Post, which has for years operated as the president's in-house newsletter, has had enough of Trump, pleading with him from the tabloid's cover to stop the insanity and end this dark charade. The Wall Street Journal's editorial board added fuel to the fire by calling it a kamikaze mission and said Republicans should be embarrassed by Mr. Trump's electoral college hustle. Even fucking Geraldo Rivera, yes, fucking Geraldo, is telling Trump to cut the crap. The president is wrong. There is no avenue left. There's no legislative avenue. There's no constitutional avenue. There's no judicial avenue. Uh, it is over. In the my only solace during this time is that I know Trump is completely miserable as well. His Mar-a-Lago stay was an absolute disaster. The usual overflow crowd of well-wishers and ass-kissers was barely a trickle from what it was in previous years. 
His rich friends were terrified of catching COVID from Trump's wider circle, and they were keeping their distance from the president and his extended family. This time around, the idea of standing behind the president in the fucking buffet line sent members running for cover. Except for a visit from Roger Stone, who arrived to the club wearing a Trump mask as a guest of Newsmax CEO Chris Ruddy, the usual gang of sycophants who do so much to buoy the president were largely missing in action. There's been no ego-stroking visits from foreign dignitaries and nothing for Trump to do but play golf and rage on Twitter and tell Georgia Governor Brian Kemp to resign from office. Trump is sensing the end approaching and watching his power diminish on a daily basis. But he's still the commander-in-chief for two more weeks. Now for the main event. Tomorrow's Georgia runoff election will put Trump's future power as a GOP kingmaker to the test. Many believe that Trump wants the GOP to lose the Senate seats so he can teach Mitch McConnell a lesson for crossing him on the election and stimulus package. In addition, he wants to show that without his support, Leffler and Purdue cannot win. Trump desperately needs the party to be about Trump. Every candidate must be a Trump candidate, and he wants the world to see that without Donald Trump, the party just does not exist. Without me, they're nothing. The cult leader is the sun in which we all must orbit and obey. Trump would rather burn down the party he took over than see it succeed without him. I think the, the lesson of these four years is that Donald Trump did not stage a hostile takeover of the, Republic, of the Republican Party, as so many of us said back in 2016, but that the Republican Party was a hollow, bankrupt, principleless uh, husk of what was a formerly great party when Donald Trump came along, and that, the, that Trump is very much uh, not a cause, but a symptom of a deeper rot in the party. It's with this scary end times mentality that most cult leaders wind up leading their followers towards death. Donald Trump is no exception. His maskless MAGA rallies were nothing more than a series of televised Jonestowns. As of November, there were over 700 COVID deaths attributed to Trump rallies. It's within this context that I'm pleased to introduce my next guest, AJ Delgado, who was a former Trump campaign spokesman and devout MAGA cult member, had a front row seat to the early insanity that defined the creation of Trump world. Hailing from Miami and of Cuban descent, Delgado is a Harvard Law graduate and played a crucial role in delivering the state to Trump in 2016. She became a cable news favorite and an especially powerful and cogent voice for Donald Trump alongside Kellyanne Conway. Unfortunately, her time at Trump Tower put Delgado in close contact with Jason Miller another rising Trump star who was slated to become communications director in the new administration. But campaigns are a heady atmosphere and passions often explode after late nights in hotel bars on the road and Miller, who was married at the time, and Delgado ultimately became an item. Nothing shocking there as politics makes for strange bedfellows. But then Delgado became pregnant with Miller's son and Trump world turned on her. The story itself became seamy tabloid fodder after it was revealed that Miller allegedly pressured the pro-life Delgado to terminate the pregnancy not once, but twice. Then came revelations of a second Miller mistress and that all of this was happening while his own wife was pregnant. What a scumbag! And in later depositions, 
it was revealed that Miller had allegedly gotten a Florida stripper pregnant as well and plied her unsuspectedly with a smoothie spiked with a crushed abortion pill. The Trump campaign, doing what it does best when threatened, offered Delgado $1.2 million to go away. And Miller resigned from the Trump campaign, but maintained his presence across cable news as a voluble and feisty Trump firebrand throughout the 2020 campaign. But Miller's demons followed him as well, with him admitting to a series of visits to Asian massage parlors and prostitutes, for which he was roundly roasted across Twitter. Meet Jason Miller. He's a deadbeat dad making over half a million dollars a year while fighting against just $3,000 a month in financial support for his own child. A child he had following an affair he participated in despite being married. This is a man who has admitted hiring prostitutes for years who had to step down from a job after he was accused of drugging a stripper with an abortion pill. Jason's character isn't some Washington rumor. It's a matter of court record. In deposition over his failure to pay child support, he was asked, you lied to your former mistress about sleeping with your current mistress, right? His answer, correct. So who would still hire a guy like Jason Miller, especially as an advisor? Oh, Donald Trump. I have the best people in the world. I think we're doing an extraordinary job. You hit the nail on the head. Delgado went the other way and returned to Florida to raise her son away from the madness of the Trump cult and has since become a persistent critic of the president. Her Twitter feed is an essential place to decode the inner workings of Trump world, and she is sought after both on and off record as a kind of secret Trump decoder. So let's listen now to that conversation. Um, AJ, like yourself, I spent time as a full-fledged member of the Trump cult, only to find myself thrown under the bus and abandoned by the very same people that I had worked so hard to help and to protect. Now, it wasn't until I was in prison basically staring at the walls and wondering how I had made such a mess of my life that I really began to examine my own infatuation and overall support of Donald Trump. Now, that quickly led to loathing and disgust and a desire to repudiate everything that I once held dear for that man and the campaign. Now, you had a very similar experience at the hands of the Trump campaign and one that you've spoken about to many news outlets. Can you explain to my listeners who might be new to the inner workings of the Trump campaign what your path to conversion was from Trump campaign spokesman to warning the American people about what you saw? Yeah, so um, absolutely. Like you said, um, I suppose you and I are quite similar in that regard that we were very much early, early, early cult members. You certainly much more than I. I mean, I don't think anybody in the commentary circuit these days knows Trump better than you do. But I was fully on board the Trump wagon since um, 2015. I came out um, in favor of him in an article I did in October of 2015. Keep in mind, most people who are pro-Trump, even in his upper circle, were still supporting other candidates at that time, Ted Cruz, et cetera, and we're all kind of anti-Trump. So this is actually considered very early. So to go from being such an early proponent of his, when most of the conservative movement was still against him or largely critical of him, saw him as a joke, et cetera, um, to now being such a staunch critic is definitely um, a journey uh, quite similar to your own. My um, 
my eye-opening moment, I wouldn't say there was one, and I suspect you'd feel the same, but it, it came about, I think the strongest was um, what was happening with the children at the border. Um, having become a mother since the Trump campaign, um, I looked at that, I think, in a way uh, that I would have seen it differently had, had I not been a mother. Um, and that started to rub me the wrong way, to say the least. And since then, it's been one thing after another, uh, especially as a mother, I looked at him in a different way because having a son now, I thought, wow, the way he conducts himself is not the way a president should conduct himself. It's not an example that I want to set for my son. The way he conducts himself morally, the way he treats people around him, such as the way you were treated, um, and the way he speaks, the way he thinks, um, he very much has a, you know, um, the state, it is I uh, kind of mentality, a, a very tyrannical mentality. And so having my son made me think what a horrible example he is. And a president should never be a horrible example for children. So um, those are the two main things that started to push me away. And then recently, the again, I keep coming back to that word, the tyrannical tendencies that we've seen, dictatorial even, um, are frightening. It's not just turning somebody away. It's outright, my God, forgive me, American public, for the wrongs I committed in helping this person be elected. Because what is going on recently since the election is nothing short of dangerous and and shocking that it could happen in 2020. Well, you know, one of the things that I had also said that had really upset me very much is when I was watching the children being separated from their parents, specifically the mothers, mm -hmm. um, the San Salvadorians thrown into cages, and basically they were giving these children um, a bottle of water and a mylar blanket for them to sleep on the floor. And, you know, I don't know if you know this, but my father being a Holocaust survivor, um, it reminded me so much of movies that I had seen and books that I had read in terms of the separation of parents from the children, the separation um, of mothers from children. And I, I honestly, I couldn't believe it because I've always known that Donald Trump has basically a zero moral compass. But I never in my wildest imaginations thought that I would ever, ever see him do something like that. Something so devoid of empathy and devoid of humanity that it was one of the probably top 10 things that I've really truly learned to despise the man that I had once held with such regard and, um, you know, and did so much for over the years. Yeah, on a primal level, there's something wrong with it. it it's it, it's just something that isn't done. You do not separate women from their children. You do not put people in cages. And listen, I'm, you know, in, in many ways, obviously I have conservative tendencies on immigration. I, I understand that there needs to be a processing of those who come in, et cetera. I understand there are a lot of difficult issues such as where, where do you house them? How do you house them? What's appropriate? But to put people in what looks like a UFC cage match, you know, wired 10 foot enclosure and the word enclosure is being kind just seems like something America in 2020 wouldn't do and shouldn't do. 
And even if you're a conservative, you can't. AJ, remember something. Everybody in this country believes in immigration. I don't think that there's right. anyone, whether you're as far right or as far left on the spectrum, I don't believe that there's anybody that believes that we should have a completely 100% open door policy on immigration. And it's funny because Trump used to always say, he had heard somebody say it once, decided he thought it was really intelligent and continuously spewed it again and again and again, which was that you know a country, quite frankly, without borders just isn't a country. And he just thought it was genius. It was very poetic. And so he decided to, you know, to capture those lines and to use them for himself. But I don't believe there's anybody that believes that there should be no process. And we all believe that there should be a process, but the process should never, 100% never, ever include separating a parent from a child, especially, I think there's still like, what, 1,500 children that will never, yeah. ever be reunited with their family again. And then you have Melania coming out, which I had heard on tapes with Stephanie Winston Walkoff, you know, who wrote the book Melania and Me. I heard on the tapes about these coyotes, and she was basically parroting the idiot in chief that we have there, talking about how they're not even their children, right? You know, I remember when, I, when my daughter was like two years old, we were in the mall in Palm Beach visiting my aunt. And the craziest thing was that we looked down and my daughter wasn't there. And we went into pure shit panic mode. And anybody that's listening that has a child, I am certain that you've experienced the same thing. And my heart felt like it had fallen into my feet. I, I went into a pure panic mode. Well, someone had told me early on when something like that happens, what you do is you look down on the floor. You basically go down the floor level and you'll be able to find their feet if they're hiding or wherever the hell they are. And we, my wife started to yell, they locking down the entire Nordstrom where we were in the mall. And lo and behold, I look down and I see my daughter's feet in between, you know, uh, some of the clothes racks. But for that <gasps> 10, 15 seconds, my, my entire life, had basically passed before me. The thought that I would lose my daughter, that I wouldn't see her again, was an overwhelming feeling that I would have rather died than had that feeling ever again. So could you imagine the feeling of these parents who will never see their children again because of this ignorant, arrogant fool that decided that he wanted to be a tough guy at the expense of humanity? And for that, I say, fuck him right there with you, just completely unnecessary. The trauma and the cruelty, it doesn't need to be that way. Um, and, and for anybody, any mother, any parent who would be okay with that, who would vote to reelect that type of policy, I just can't explain it. It's inexplicable to me. It's not a matter of it's un-American. Fuck un-American. It's not human. It's not being a fucking human, excuse my language, but with, with being a mother with a child who was a baby and a, a toddler, I think becoming a toddler at the time that that was happening, it just it ripped me to my core. And it almost in a, in a weird way, it made me wish that I was part of the administration because you always wonder, maybe if I would have been there, I could change things. Maybe. But you probably couldn't have. You probably couldn't have. This is an administration that it's, it's rotten from the top. And I don't think I would have made a difference. 
I think there are probably people there trying to make a difference, but it it um it happened, and those kids, um, hundreds of them are orphans now. Yeah, well, I, wonderful. It's, it's wonderful. Very true. But on December nineteenth, in reply to yet another Axios headline, breathlessly reporting Trump's latest coup attempt, you wrote, "Oh my God." Stop already. He can't do a damn thing and has a few weeks left of sitting around tweeting. Stop with the breathless bullshit as if he has options. Do you believe Trump's flirtation with Sidney Powell and martial law is a giant troll on his part to basically frighten the electorate before leaving? Or do you believe he's truly seeking an authoritarian solution? Also, I don't think it's a troll at all. I, I do actually think if he could, and that's his intent, and he's certainly trying, and people around him are trying to institute a coup. My point with the tweet of stop already, stop the panicking is, we're at the point where we need to shift into ignoring him. Stop giving this man air. Stop acting as if you're afraid of him. It's like a bully when you just laugh him off and say, you're over. It's done. We're going to ignore you. Go rant and scream, but nobody's going to pay attention to you anymore. You have no power over us anymore. Joe Biden will be in office in a few weeks. You are now irrelevant. So that is what my tweet meant about Stop giving them power. His little coup's not going to go anywhere. Not because he doesn't want it to, just because it makes no sense. And obviously, what is he going to do? Have the military confiscate machines and, and, and do what? Recount the votes and certify for the millionth time that Joe Biden won? It's a moron's coup. It's still evil that they're trying to do it. It's still crazy. It shows how dangerous and undemocratic he and the people around him are. But let's not panic because by panicking and talking about it in whispers and, oh, my gosh, anxiety at the Pentagon and headlines like that, you're giving him an authority that he no longer has. And the best way to make him irrelevant is to start acting as though he is irrelevant because he is because he lost and Joe Biden won. Right. He's done. But you do know that he does want a coup and he does want to be yes. an authoritarian um, leader. He's now seeing an opportunity. Now, I don't think he thinks it's going to happen, but it's still there and it's still in his grasp that he can somehow basically subvert the Constitution to basically take democracy and flush it down the toilet, right? So that he can become the United States of America's authoritarian ruler, the dictator, so to speak, of this country. And the problem with that is he truly is giving it a shot. Now, do I think that'll happen? No. You know, the system is bigger than him, maybe not bigger right. than his ego, but it's certainly bigger than him. But you bring up a really good point about just ignoring him. And here's the problem with that, AJ. It's impossible because Donald Trump is a master when it comes to manipulating the media, as well as yes. manipulating individuals like you, like myself early on. There's still about 30% of this country that has not seen the light, that they are following this cult leader right down into the dumpster. They're doing a dumpster dive with their lives, and it's about 30%. Now, that's a huge number, and it's not just a huge number of people that legitimately are following him, that they're taking their hard-earned money and they're giving it to a guy who claims to be a mega-billionaire Right. Because he needs their money and he's just he's just grifting off them. But the problem is more than just the people. It's our Republican representatives who are actually indebted 
to Donald Trump, not because of what he did for them over the course of the last four years, because they're too afraid to lose their jobs. They refuse to give up their fucking positions of power, and they're willing to subjugate themselves to an authoritarian ruler so that he can come out or not come out against them on his Twitter account or whatever Trump News Network he's going to create in the future that's going to end up taking them out of their position and putting somebody in. They're just selfish people that are willing to destroy democracy for their own power. It's disgraceful. Yeah, we saw that when they were being asked multiple times after the election, which was a very clear election, a very clear result. Um, what is your position or do you refer to Joe Biden as president-elect Joe Biden? They would just change the subject. I mean, cowards to a fault. But you, you also bring up an earlier excellent point when you said he's not going to become irrelevant, not just because of the Republicans you mentioned, but because of the media. And that's actually an issue that keeps me up at night is the media is going to keep him relevant because he has been a cash cow for them. Um, you're still going to have articles on Trump said this, Trump tweeted this. What airport is going to be named after Trump? I don't give a damn what airport is going to be named after Trump. Why is there an article about that? They have created entire cottage industries around this man, what he says and what he does, because it drives clicks. It's fun. It's juicy. It's interesting. And so I don't know when I say he should become irrelevant, whether that's actually going to happen, because the media is going to do everything they can um, because their job depends on it, their bonuses depends on it, et cetera, to keep him relevant because he's been so good for their careers. So I don't know. Between the Republican politicians, the 30% of the base you mentioned, and the media, I, I, I don't see how he becomes irrelevant, but that doesn't mean we should act and, and surrender to the fact that he should still be a relevant voice, um, at least one with any huge amount of power. And that's the way we're acting now and we're you know, freaking out over a coup that's not going to happen. I do believe we should be freaking out and discuss about the fact that he's trying to do it, but not about the fact that it's going to happen because it's not going to happen. Joe Biden will be inaugurated next month. Yes, so. and, and we're all <laughs> looking forward to that January 20th day. But, you know, one of the problems that I remember at the Trump organization and then the Trump campaign is people who are around him, like myself, we, we take on certain attributes, really despicable attributes of Trump. And, you know, as an example, your former partner, Jason Miller, had threatened you on numerous occasions, even went so far as to sending the police to your home in the middle of the night, trying to pressure you to take an abortion pill and even got the Trump campaign to attempt to buy you off into not having your child. Right now, all of this is very public and, you know, it speaks to the people who surround Donald Trump and Jared Kushner in these final days. I mean, very much like I used to years, obviously, ago. But Jason Miller seems especially toxic to me with his, you know, predilection for prostitutes and other appetites. You know, what was it all about? And, you know, what's it about with him that despite this toxic behavior, Trump and Kushner kept him around? I've always found that fascinating because even guys like Corey Lewandowski that we shit canned in some in one of the most in one. For me, it was enjoyable. But for him, it was humiliating. We escorted his ass off the fucking property. We seized his, even his own personal computer. We took from him and there was nothing he can do. Like a, like a fucking child. We walked him outside, kicked him in the ass and told him to get lost. But yet 
Trump and Kushner and others, right? Even guy like Rick Gates, right? Who had his own, you know, sexual scandals in the campaign. They keep these fucking people around. And I'm trying to figure out why. You have any ideas? Yeah, you know, your um, guess is as good as mine because the Jason situation is particularly, I would almost say on a different level because Corey, at least, he's been kept around, but on the outside of the circle, like he, he's never really been given a White House role. Um, so he's he's kept at arm's length. David Bossy's kept at arm's length. Rick Gates was completely, you know, pushed out as far as I know. And then Jason is brought back to basically run the campaign after it has come out. He's admitted, you know, this he admits to prostitutes going to quote unquote Asian themed massage parlors, as he called them for hand jobs, doesn't pay child support that he owes his son tens of thousands of dollars. Why, especially given Ivanka's, you know, wish to portray herself as like a woman's warrior, why would this guy be brought in, be brought back in after all that and at such a high level? Oh, and last time he worked for you guys, he knocked up a woman who was working under him and totally abused his position on the campaign. Why would somebody like that be brought back? Um, you know, it makes you wonder. I don't know if he has something on these guys. I mean, that's my personal theory. Um, because he's too toxic for anyone to touch and for a national campaign to touch him, I thought said a lot. And what it says to me is not good. I mean, what does it say to you? You know, I think Ivanka as an example is a complete fraud. Everything that Ivanka does is stage, whether it's sitting in an interview and she'll make sure that there's a fan like five or six feet away so that her hair slightly blows and she likes camera <laughs> left. And, you know, she'll speak with a with just a very, you know, raspy type. I mean, everything about her. The sexy her whisper, is fake, the sexy but, whisper. <laughs> yeah, sexy my ass. But and what what bothers me the most is that this was so rampant in the campaign. Right. Corey was with Hope. Then you had, right. J you know, Jason with several Rick Gates with people. I mean, this thing was all over the place. Um, you know, so many people, and I'm not going to name them and out them, but they know who they are, and I'm sure they're listening to this. So if you do and you are listening, um, fuck you. But more importantly, yeah. right, <laughs> they're, they're, it, they're basically following Trump's, you know, behavior pattern. It's no different than what I ended up having to plead guilty to, which was Trump having an affair when his, you know, when Melania had just had Barron, right? And trying everything is a cover up. I just don't understand why they keep them around. I mean, Corey is toxic. David Bossy is not just toxic. He's fucking stupid. So they, <laughs> what do they do? They end up shoving them into the RNC, the Average Joe that's supporting the RNC with their hard-earned dollars. And during this pandemic, when money is so tight, there's still small dollar donating to this RNC, which is basically a grift to a bunch of grifters. And I'm, I, I am always, I'm always just blown away at the magnitude of the stupidity. Yeah, you, I think like their position, I think from, from the individual's position, it's well, I was one of the early guys and I was with you during the election when it wasn't clear you'd win. So you owe me. First of all, why the fuck would they owe you? All those guys got paid. They did a job and they were paid to do a job from day one. So nothing was owed to you because you, you guys made a you know pretty. I know Corey was paid well, et cetera. Um, so I'm owed a job, they claim, because I was an early adopter. OK, well, what about me then? 
that apparently didn't apply to me. It apparently doesn't apply to the women, at least not the minority women. It's just if you're a sleazeball who did X, Y, Z on the campaign. Oh, no, but it, it's, a, it's a boys club. No, no, no. Well, we got to, you know, uh, still keep Corey hooked up. We still have to keep Bossy hooked up in some capacity. Hook him up with a $20,000 a month gig here, another one over there. Why? Why for the sleaze bags do they help them? And then people who actually did do a ton of work for very little money in exchange for, well, maybe if they win, I'll get a job are completely thrown to the curb. I mean, look at what you did for how many years were you a loyal soldier and look at how they treated you. And they might say, well, that's fine. I have a right to be an asshole and to be disloyal, Um, which is funny because that's the way we used in your title. But then don't come with the bullshit of, well, uh, Trump fights for us. We fight for him because Trump fights for us. Nobody will sell you out faster than Trump and the Trump family. So I just find it hilarious when people do the whole, we have to fight for Mr. Trump because Mr. Trump fights for us. By the way, morons, how has he fought for you? On what? The big tax cuts for the rich? On what? What did he do? He golfs all the fucking time. What is he doing that you think he has fought for you? Tell me, how has your life improved? You don't know anybody who's struggling with COVID or with the economic downturn because of COVID? Because I'd like to meet these people. There's, it's such a brainwashed, low IQ cult to think he fights for us. He wouldn't cross the street to spit on you if you were on fire. <laughs> Those women holding up the sign for Trump of, I love Trump, I love Trump. He wouldn't spit on you if you were on fire. If you've spent time around him, you know how he is. You know how superficial he is. And he would not give these people even five seconds of his time in real life. Well, it's true. And it's a lot of it. A lot of it has to do with the fact that it's not his money and they really just don't care how it gets spent. But a lot of that is changing now because I know it was recently reported that Jared Kushner created a shell company that diverted hundreds of millions of dollars in campaign cash, which the Trump children treated as their own personal piggy bank. In addition to that, huge salaries were paid out to, for example, Jason Miller, right? $420,000, as well as other strategists. And yet he doesn't pay you what he's supposed to. Now, much of it was meant to appease a paranoid Donald Trump about Brad Parscale. But we lost track of him already just prior to the election and his forced hospitalization. First off, what do you think is going on with this shell company? And lastly, where does Brad Parscale fit into all of it? And what do you think he's holding over Kushner? Because I have my thoughts on this, too. Yeah, so I actually, um, I like Brad. Um, I think he's been made into a scapegoat, clearly. Um, he did lay a lot of great groundwork. And I do think the campaign and Trump's numbers were, for the most part, notwithstanding COVID, obviously, in pretty good shape when Brad was running the campaign. And then, you know, a uh, frick and frack, as I call um, Jason and Stepien, were obviously, um, you know, hovering like hyenas. And um, I think did all they could to put doubts in Trump's ear, as did other people. I don't think it was just them. And get Brad out. And what happened, I actually talked to Brad and he's the one that told me um, about those payments is Miller wanted to be paid X amount. And they were like, no. And he's like, no, you're paying me X amount. And he wanted it hidden from the public. And, you know, which the FEC doesn't really allow that. <laughs> so they had, um, they had it paid out instead through Jamestown just to get around the FEC. That's what I was told by Brad. 
Um, yeah, and I do know I do know that Stephanie Wolkoff has a lot of um, information regarding the pick on these sort of hidden fees that they're paying to strategists. Shit, they were paying Ivanka right uh, during the Trump years as a you know as a designer or um, on behalf of a licensing for a tr- for an Ivanka spa. I mean, the whole thing is obviously one grift or another. But you and I differ on this, and I agree with you, Brad Parscale, for the most part. He's a nice guy, right? But he's no scapegoat. Brad Parscale ended up doing to this campaign what nobody has done, which is to make a shit ton of money. And where the downfall with Parscale and Trump came in was when Trump found out that Parscale had just bought himself a brand new Ferrari, right? That, that bothered Trump more than you could possibly imagine. And it's really funny because it's stupid things like that that I've seen Trump do to people over the years. So what if Pascal bought himself a Ferrari? Okay, he made money. Well, then they finally found, he finally asked the question, well, how much money did Pascal make off of, you know, off of the campaign? And he took a piece of all the, the small dollar donations that came in, which amounted to a of money. Now, this is a guy that was earning like um, $150,000 a year, now making $15 million. And that drove Trump fucking crazy because he hates when anybody makes a dollar where he thinks that that person is making the money off of his back. Right. It's off his back. Yeah. I can see that. You know what kills me about that is people sometimes on Twitter every now and then. I mean, I think people have known me and my story. I've gotten to know me pretty well online. Um, But every now and then people say, well, but you made money off of electing Trump. Let me be clear about this. I made zero. I my and it's public records. It's in the FEC disclosures. My when I actually joined the campaign formally after nearly a year as a as a surrogate, my salary was ten thousand a month. That is actually what I made in my day job, which I had to leave as general counsel of a nonprofit dedicated to helping Latinos. My salary was $10,000 a month, and I had to take a leave from my job unpaid to work for the campaign, which paid me the, it happened to be the same amount, actually. So I made zero, literally zero-sum gain from working for the Trump campaign. Um, So I made nothing off of Trump's campaign, off of Trump's win. I had zero financial upside. If anything, all downside is it's now affected my ability to work as a lawyer. Um, And it it does, man, it kills me when I hear about the amounts. It's not just Brad, but the amounts that others look at Jason, $35,000 a month to deliver a fucking loss have made. Um, So Trump world is surrounded by, by people looking to to get their hand in the pot. So I, I, I could see how that bothers Trump. I think he can smell that. He can smell it. And anybody can smell it. Of course he could smell it. A dog knows what another dog smells like, right? Yeah. But you know what? He's an idiot because there were some people like me who you could tell weren't in it for the money because we weren't making any money. We were the ones doing the hardest work, which is going on TV and defending you every time you would mess up and say the wrong thing. That was the hardest job in the world at that time. And you know, no, um, no loyalty for, for those. I've, you know, probably should have just had my hand in the cookie jar and at least gotten that out of it. Huh? (laughs) Well, like I've always said, Donald Trump is like first Avenue, you know, he's one way and that's just the only way. And then when he finds out like what happened with Brad, I mean, look at me, I refuse to even be a part of the campaign 
And yet I ended up having to plead guilty to campaign finance violation when it was Trump and Alan Weisselberg and Parscale and Kushner that were all directing all of this shit. And somehow I end up becoming the fall guy for, for Trump. I never understood that. I never even understood the charges against you, what exactly they were about, nor will I. Even as a lawyer, I wasn't quite clear on why that merited the sentence that it was received. And I'm sure, you know, you probably don't want to go into that because it's it's in your past and it's been dealt with. But it seemed a bit um, excessive and wasn't exactly even clear to me where the the exact wrongdoing was. And I hope whoever was so outraged about it should be far more outraged by the whole, hey, let's hide your salary from the public, even though the FEC requires us to disclose it and let's pay you through another vendor. Where's the outrage about what's going on, what's been reported now? The same people that were outraged about you. I don't see it. <laughs> So yeah, well, it, it, you will find out, uh, AJ, you will find it because that's going to be the sum and substance of my second book. It's going to be all about the disproportionate Ooh. sentencing um, by from Judge William H. Pauley, the third from the prosecutors, this guy, Tom McKay to Nicholas Roos and the rest of the prosecutorial team. First of all, there was no prosecution. It was a plea and it was a plea because they threatened to file an 85 page indictment against me in 48 hours after finding out what they were talking about. That was going to include my wife. But rest assured, from wow. the Steele dossier all the way to the second remand, that's going to be my second book. And it's going to be another eye opener. But AJ, as someone who has significant ties into the beating heart of the campaign, walk my listeners through what it's like inside the Trump bunker right now as he spends his final days in the White House. Because I'm curious, who is actually running the government? Because what we definitely know is that it's it's 100% not Trump. Yeah, it, it seems like nobody's running the government now. I hear the White House is basically just a kind of a, a, a dead zone and a ghost town. Um, that's what I'm hearing. I'm sure you're probably hearing the same thing. No, it's a complete abdication of duty um, and just dedicated to how do we reverse and undo this election? And it, so it's extra sick that that's happening from the White House and out of the White House. And there's somebody sitting at the Resolute desk plotting how to do the most un-American thing you can imagine. Um, but that's there is no work being done out of the White House. It's purely the only work being done is how do a bunch of morons get together and try to plot on doing an election? Um, they shouldn't even call them morons. It's um, it should be more about the evil of what they're doing and the immorality of what they're doing. It's not just that it's stupid. It's the it's it's vile. What they're doing is vile. You see, I wouldn't call them morons. I would just call them traitors. But yeah. yesterday you retweeted a video of Pat Robertson discussing Donald Trump and how he lives in an alternate reality. Now, you know you have problems when the evangelicals are beginning to turn on Trump. You think it registers at all with them? Nope. It'll just, it's what you said. Trump is a First Avenue one way. You're either one of the cars driving alongside with him or you, you don't exist. It's one way. So Pat Robertson is now the enemy. Bill Barr is the enemy. And it, Pence, apparently now, he's upset with Pence. Um, anybody who's not 100% or pretending, I should say, because he's surrounded by people like Jason, for instance, who will, um, because I saw him do this in 2016, will badmouth him and curry favor with reporters and leak behind his back, but to his face, pretend to still be on that First Avenue lane with him. So that's all that Trump cares about. Pat Robertson, anybody who says, listen, man, you're not living in reality. You lost. It's over. 
is just somebody who needs to get out of the way and you're just not on the team or just not seeing it. You don't get it. You don't get me. You don't understand what really happened here. Um, it, it's, it, it's, it's kind of sad to say it's like narrow minded tunnel vision is, is again, too generous. He, um, I don't know if he'll ever realize if he'll ever fully accept that he lost. I don't think it's an act. People wonder, is it an act? No, it's not a troll. It's not an act. He truly does believe that he won and that he's beloved by the people. It's almost like, I always think of him. He reminds me of like a little, like 14th or 15th century, like boy King in France is kind of like a pre French revolution monarch kind of thing, like a spoiled little King who's never been told no and doesn't believe that his people who are suffering and don't have bread don't love him because he is the monarch brought to you by God. He has that mentality. Um, and he'll never change. He's, he's too old to change. That's who he is. He's always going to think he won and Joe Biden stole the election. But hey, go for it. Talk about it all you want at Mar-a-Lago. Talk about it at parties. I don't give a shit. Just go. You're out. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, and believe me, he will be talking about it a lot at Mar-a-Lago. But on this show, we refer to Mar-a-Lago as his own country called Magistan. And he will <laughs> sit there and he will hang out with all of these sycophantic billionaires. I mean, because there's so many of them in, in Mar-a-Lago in, in Magistan. And when Trump walks in, they fucking stand up, they clap, and they're clapping because, you know, all of his tax breaks and all of the things yes. that he's done made them so much fucking money during this pandemic. Everybody's suffering right now. Money is so tight for so many people. And then that one-tenth of one percent they made a trillion dollars during this pandemic more than any before and so what do they do they go to mar-a-lago to eat you know the shrimp cocktails and to be graced by this fat ass's presence to sit there to listen to him for 30 minutes 40 minutes talk about his favorite topic which is himself now himself. you know aj it by himself it's it's disgraceful but bill barr submitted his resignation last week and no one was happier about that than I because I think he's a fucking asshole. I'm sure that we're going to hear more about why he decided now was the right time to take this high moral ground stand. <laughs> but in your view, because this guy is equal on Trump to like zero, right? And yeah. even like myself, who really went south on my moral compass, at least I, I knew what I was doing was wrong. And I somehow, after getting kicked in the ass and really hard, figured out how to make amends, at least with my wife, my children, or trying to make amends with them and the country and doing whatever I can. But Bill Barr does not fall into this category. But in your view, AJ, knowing what you know, why do you think he chose to throw in the towel on Trump, especially after supporting him and subverting the Justice Department for so long, especially after what they did to me, which is remanding me back to prison, violating my First Amendment constitutional right that Judge Alvin K. Hellerstein turned around and wrote? It was done in retaliation. Yep. What's your thoughts? I watched all that happen. That was disgusting, by the way. Um, I was horrified about what they did to you and how retaliatory that was. It was clear-cut retaliation. Oh, about Barr, um, he's a rat fleeing the ship. That's, that's really simple. Trump lost. He wants to try to salvage whatever remains of his tattered reputation um, and is now looking to seem reasonable and seem noble in these last few days. I don't think anybody's buying it. It's not working, but... The, the public is so fickle and so easily led to forgive the past that you already see on Twitter people saying, well, 
you know, that's, that's, you know, I have my issues with Bill Barr, but it's really good that he stood up on this. No, don't forget what he did before. And he would not be doing this. He would not be sounding reasonable if Trump had won. He's only a rat fleeing the loser ship. Don't give him an out. None of these people should be given an out. Anybody who profited, and I don't just mean financially, but their career, their prestige, anything, a post they were given off of the Trump administration needs to be held accountable. And by that, I mean, we do not forget it. So for Barr to sound to now say, well, I'm not going to open an investigation. Big fucking deal. Whoop-de-doo. Great. You, you made me lose sleep and made Americans lose sleep for hundreds of nights. But now you're trying to do the, the right thing at the end only because he lost. So your incentive is, is, is gross. But tell me what's yours. What you, what's your take? Yeah, I have a little bit of a difference of opinion and I'm holding back on on revealing it because I'm I'm working Ooh. through it. But I have a very different opinion on Bill Barr because obviously, you know, being around Trump for almost a decade and a half, I really true, I truly understand yes. the the crazy that exists between the man's two ears. And I believe that after you do so much for him that is sitting on the line, right, of the law, like I had done for him for so long, Trump has no boundaries. And I believe that he asked Bill Barr to break the law, something that was obvious to a fifth grader taking constitutional law the very, you know, in, in, in class for the very first time. I do believe that he was pushing Bill Barr to do it. And Barr realized, oh, my fucking Lord, this guy is asking me to do something that is going to put me where Cohen was in prison. Right. That this isn't going to be something that we can say, well, it's our right to do and so on. And I have an idea in terms of what it was. And I'm just finishing formulating the whole thing. And when I announce it, I do believe it's going to be a bombshell because I'm almost 100 percent certain based upon things that he has asked others to do that that's exactly what happened here. And Bill Barr was like, "Okay, listen, you know what? I've lived with fucking crazy now for X period of time. Was it like 18 months, 24 months? I'm not going to jail for him while he goes off to Mar-a-Lago to play golf. Right. Um, and I'm oh, going to be uh, eating. No doubt. I mean, I, I agree. I, you're absolutely right. I, I absolutely agree. Just because it's my theory is is definitely um, compatible with your own. I fully agree that Trump asked him to do something that even Barr has his limits and said, no, listen, I, you know, I have I think he has a, a, a child who works in the administration. Um, he has his own legacy to preserve. He has a family. Um, he's not going to risk. It's one thing to be an asshole. It's another thing to flat out conduct illegal, unconstitutional acts. So, yeah, no, I, I can't wait to hear what your theory is as to what exactly he asked of him. But for sure, that's what happened. For sure. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, Barr well, has, I, his, I, has I, his limits. I, I, yeah, but I don't believe that Barr has his reputation anymore. Everybody looks at him as the fat fool that he really is. But, you know, the amicus brief that was filed two weeks ago to overturn the election, you know, may have been laughed out of the Supreme Court, but it did serve as a loyalty test for those senators and congressmen that are willing to back Trump no matter the cost. Now, my understanding is that some 60% of the House GOP signed that fucking brief. 
Now, what do you see happening to the Republican Party as Trump leaves office and with 70 percent of the Republican electorate believing that the election was fraudulent? I mean, this is fucking crazy to me. How difficult the future does Joe Biden face as those House members must answer to an increasingly radicalized base? You know, I have an optimistic view on it. I, since I used to be part of that base, I kind of helped create that base, sadly. I The, the number of crazies in it are, are not as much as the media would have you believe. And the number of diehard believers are, are not as many. The media focuses on them because they're the juicy, interesting ones to profile. But I think it's just the initial shock, the initial anger of Trump losing. I think in a year... Same as, you know, you have people that refuse to believe that their that their team didn't win the Super Bowl. And, you know, the next day your dad's still on the couch going, that was past interference and the ref didn't call and he should have called it. And and then, you know, two days later, your dad's over it. I think in elections, it's similar that in a year, the base, you'll kind of start to hear less of that it was stolen. And there'll be other things to talk about and other issues in the news. And it'll just slowly distance itself from Trump cultism. Um, it's just hot right now. And the iron is still hot, but the mob is fickle. You know, I always quote that, you know, I hate to sound like a bro quoting gladiator, but there's that great quote that the mob is fickle brother. And the mob indeed is fickle. And we do forget, even when we're completely in love with somebody as a president, we move on. And I think that's what will happen. Give it a year, maybe two, and there will be no such cult anymore. Those Trump flags will be in a garage collecting dust. And that'll be it. But, you know, AJ, we move on because the president, the former president, has the honor and the dignity and the class to allow the process to continue without him and move on. Trump lacks all three of those. And he's going to be a thorn in Joe Biden's ass like nobody has ever seen a president do before. He's going to start that Trump News Network. He's going to affiliate himself with the likes of Chris Ruddy of Newsmax and OANN and other of these right wing conspiracy theorists. He's going to have fucked up, stupid ass Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson sitting there and spewing more and more bullshit day in and day out. He's going to have assholes like Matt. Matt Getz continue to try to stand up and create as much hassle for Biden as they possibly can. So I don't see it going away. And I think the only way to make it go away is you start the investigation on a larger scale even than what the Attorney General Tish James is doing here in New York alongside the District Attorney Cyrus Vance um, Jr. is doing. That's how you do it. You go after him, you prosecute the guy for everything that he has done illegally over the years and let him face the full wrath and the full power of the Department of Justice. That's my opinion. But this now leads to my next question to you, AJ. From a Chris Murphy quote that you retweeted that said, all of these Republicans who are so strong standing up for democracy outside of America, meaning like Cuba, Venezuela, for instance, they're all miraculously silent as their party's leader tries to overthrow our own democracy. Because it's kind of like, you know, the Internet trolls who go quiet when they leave the basement. How do you think the 60 percent that I mentioned above are justifying that they're blatantly anti-democratic behavior? They're not justifying it because the media never asks them. I would love to have Matt Gates or somebody be asked, how do you square your position in trying to overturn an election 
with your adamant opposition to XYZ dictators, whether it be in history or current dictators and anywhere in the world, they don't have to answer, which they should because they're never, they're rarely asked. So um, it, it's, it's, a, it's an issue that uh, kills me. I get choked up talking about it because as a Cuban American, to see the authoritarian, not just tendencies, but actions, and quote unquote lawsuits. They're not, these aren't real lawsuits. These are sham authoritarian tyrant tricks. As a Cuban American whose family fled, somebody who came into power via what we call a golpe de Estado, a coup d'etat, um, I'm almost speechless that I, I lived through this and I'm living through it now in 2020 and 2021 America. It's very emotional you for me. Yeah, it's well, you know, I never like, thought I'd see that. And I, I thought Trump was crazy, but I thought, well, he'll lose the election and then he'll bitch about it on Twitter for a week and, you know, he'll slowly go away. And, and you were right, by the way, when you predicted he'll go to, to Mar-a-Lago for Christmas and then he won't come back. I think he's still going to do that. But I never thought they would actually truly try to undo the election and keep trying. I mean, they keep losing the Pennsylvania electors didn't switch. The Supreme Court didn't come to your aid. The machines didn't turn out to be wrong. They keep getting an L at every turn and they won't take the L. They keep trying. They're obsessed. It's like a, a psycho killer obsessed with, no, we won't take no for an answer. You will reverse the election. How is that, not, how is that really so different from, from what a Fidel Castro did and how he came to power? He came to power saying elections for what? Why should we have elections? That's the same shit Trump is saying. Why bother with, with the election? That, but that's the whole point. He's not. He wants to be a dictator. Yep. When he first when he first became president, he didn't see himself as a president. He sees himself as a dictator. And now all of a sudden the dictator's power is fleeing. So he wants to keep it. And he's willing to shit on and to destroy our constitution in order to feed his fragile ego because he doesn't want to run. He just wants to grift and make money and have the power and be able to fly around on Marine One and Air Force One and be greeted and have them playing hail to the chief each and every morning yes. as he decides to stuff his fat face up in the in the residential you know wing of the White House, you know, with whatever he wants, his 12 gallons of ice cream a day. That's what he wants. He wants to be Kim Jong-un. He wants to be Fidel Castro. He wants to be Vladimir Putin. He wants to be Erdogan. But you know, to to, to go back to something that you were talking about. Um, despite all of the hysteria about Trump having a chokehold on the Republican Party, a recent Fox News poll said that a majority of those polled do not want him to run again in 24. And nearly 42% of those polled, and again, by Fox News, mind you, said that, that, he, has, that he has actually been the worst president in U.S. history. Now, with this in mind, balanced with the reality that the GOP is still enthralled, and more importantly, they're afraid of Trump, how long does he remain the de facto leader? Yeah, and I mean, and I guess that poll comes back to what I was saying earlier, that maybe I'm being too optimistic. I probably am, and I'm going to turn out to be wrong on this in a few years, so feel free to laugh at me in two years, but I am optimistic about the fact that he's not going to have the hold. I think Trump TV is going to sputter and die out before it even starts and good luck going up against fox news and rupert murdoch because they will crush you if you try to start it 
so I'm rooting for Fox News and Rupert Murdoch in that fight. <laughs> Go Rupert Murdoch. Um, so I don't think he is going to have that 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 hold. And you're seeing it in that poll where people maybe when they are just quietly anonymously being pulled are are being a little bit more honest of no, yeah, I do kind of admit um, that Joe Biden did win the election and I do think the election was fine. So I'm optimistic and I don't think that hold is going to be as prominent or as strong. And maybe he's still going to be an influential voice in the party, certainly. Just his Twitter account alone will um, ensure that. But I'm not sure there is going to be this like Trump TV and, and he's going to run in 2024. He might have investigations, as you said, to grapple with. Almost certainly will have investigations to grapple with. Um, there might be other candidates that people start to gravitate to. I think somebody needs to come out and declare early on, like maybe like next year, that they're interested in running and see what shakes out. Hell, I would actually be fine with Romney doing that. I know people are saying he's a little bit older now, et cetera, but um, I'd be interested in seeing what would shake out if Romney were to declare. Um, and then see what happens. But I, I don't think he's going to be as, as powerful as people are making him out to be. The media wants him to be. The media's dying to see Trump um, remain the de facto um, opposition leader. But uh, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I, maybe I have too much faith in, uh, in Americans. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, th- I think we'll be okay. I think he, uh, he slowly becomes um, less and less relevant. Yeah, well, AJ, in two years, I'm going to have you on the show. I'll be laughing at you because I, I know I know the son of a bitch and I know what he's going to be doing. He will use every single trick while he's still breathing in order to keep this popularity, in order to be able to grift off of the little guy that he screwed for so many years. Oh, well, for sure. But on, but on December 11th, you retweeted an important piece from Molly Jong Fast. Actually, I'm going to be on her podcast very soon. Oh, I of the love Daily her. Beast. Love her. Yeah, That's my yeah. girl. So, Yeah, good podcast, in which she pleaded with those in a position of power not to launder the crimes and damage done by the members of his administration, writing, every time a network platforms a Jason Miller or a Sebastian Gorka, that network is saying that the truth does not matter and is giving that person the power to poison more Americans, that more Americans' brains and with disinformation. Now, Social media may have given up trying to police misinformation, but cable news should not. Discuss with me for a moment and the dangers that these people posed based on their views and what they can do or erase from the past. Yeah, well, anytime you have people come on saying things like um, the election uh, is questionable, and it's not just Jason or Gorka that she mentioned, it's a lot of people in Trump where they're saying that. But I think the reason she mentions um, Jason in particular is there are a lot of bad guys in Trump world. So forget even the misinformation. It's when you put those people on TV, you're saying women don't matter. You're saying crime doesn't matter. And we will still give you a platform on our private company network to um, spread your voice and, um, and help your career. So that's a huge problem that I think the the media should grapple with. And Molly's absolutely right that the media and the networks are in a very powerful position that unlike social media, who says, listen, we can't police who says what. It's just going to be a free for all. I get that. But the networks really need to rein in um, not just the bad guys like Miller that they're giving a stamp of approval to. Um, and it's a huge sucker punch to women every time they have him on. But the actual misinformation that is so rampant anytime you have 
these guys appear. Meet the Press is a perfect example. Chuck Todd will have on two reporters um, and a Republican. And, and it's like Matt Negrin, who's on, um, who's on Twitter, does a great job chronicling this. It's like, okay, what happened to the Democrat on the panel? Then it's up to the reporters to try to balance the discussion. Stop giving these people a platform if they're going to spew misinformation and false facts. It's that simple. You're a news network. Yeah. They helped bring about this monster. I mean, you saw it because you were with Trump so early on. You saw how much places like CNN helped build Trump's movement because they gave him so much free airtime. They would air the rallies, for God's sake. So the media has a lot of thinking. They need to hold some sort of symposium conference about how to handle misinformation that has become so rampant in the Trump era and is going to continue, especially from his minions. Um, I mean, you see, you see people are brainwashed. People are being brainwashed, especially the elderly with what they're told, Fox News, et cetera. But you have to remember, it's not just television media. It's also the print right. media that wants to make things up and that they're in competition with these bloggers that really don't have the same journalistic integrity that, you know, journalists um, with major periodicals do. And one of the problems with that is that the major papers like the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, et cetera, right? They're afraid that they're going to get scooped by a by a blogger. And so they're rushing constantly, especially with Captain Chaos, that starting 5 a.m. in the morning, he's tweeting something that's out of this, that's just fucking crazy. And then by six o'clock, he, fa- he figures out how to tweet something that's even crazier. And then it goes on and on all day long. So even when they make a mistake, they don't have the time to actually go back and correct the mistake, but they don't care about the people that they injure or the disinformation that's put out there. But you're right. There should be some sort of a symposium to try to figure out how to deal with the next Donald Trump. Because believe me when I tell you, there will be another Donald Trump, one that's richer, one that's smarter, one that's going to surround himself with better people. And that's when this country is going to really have, as my grandfather and grandmother used to say, a lot of gechaktatsuris, a lot of real big troubles on their hands. But with that in mind, AJ, you also recently retweeted Andrew Feinberg from the UK's Independent, who wrote, one ex-senior Trump official said, many employers are refusing to hire ex-Trump staffers. There are many more than I expected. They don't say this to me, but they say it to a third party who say that there's no way I would touch anyone from Trump world. How much of a shit stain will it be to have this administration on your resume? And who do you believe will have the hardest time finding employment beyond Donald Trump? Oh, this is something I'm really passionate about. And I came out of defending um, that Trump accountability project, which I have nothing to do with. I don't even know the people running it. But basically, it was just a list um, where they list high ranking, not like if you were a park ranger during the Trump administration, just high ranking people in the Trump administration, political appointees uh, to make a list of them so that corporations can check that list. Um, You should not be able to have been part of an administration that ripped toddlers from their mothers at the border and then go and get a $500,000 a year job at Google or doing communications for McDonald's. No, in no way should that in this universe be allowed to happen. You cannot profit out of your disgusting deeds. So the fact that they're having a hard time finding work, yeah, it's called fucking decency standards. 
Nobody forced you to work in the administration. You chose to. Nobody forced you to stay even after it came out all the horrible things that that administration was doing. You chose to. Now be a big boy or a big girl and go drive fucking Uber if you have to, but you're not getting a cushy gig. Period. You mean like the Kaylee McEnany's, the Hope Hicks? What about the Sean Spicers? I mean, if you think about it, none of these people are able to get jobs, in my opinion, post this administration. And it's already been proven that. I mean, Sean Spicer, right? Besides for Dancing with the Stars, I think he's working for the RNC, which again, is just a way to pay somebody to shut the fuck up so that you don't speak about negatively about Trump, which is like what Laura Trump tried to do with Amorosa, with Omarosa. which is what they've tried to do with so many different people that they're using other people's money in order to pay hush money all over again. And yet I'm the only one that ends up in trouble for paying hush money to a porn star who was looking to damage, you know, a presidential campaign. I mean, I just don't get it. Yeah. How is that any different from when they they basically shuffle people like, well, you're leaving the White House, but we have to keep this person happy. So RNC and it's always 15,000 a month. RNC, can you set this person up with a $15,000 a month job? Oh, RNC can't. Okay, you could go to the America First Pack. Oh, they can't. We'll shuffle you around. We will We will keep you set up. How is that really all that different from you paying someone to stay quiet? It's not. But apparently when you did it, it was a crime. Well, how was it legal? And Right. Well, the goal was, of course, to not just crush Trump, but in order to find a scapegoat. And by the way, it's not just people in this administration. We have the same issues with prosecutors, right? Prosecutors do the same thing where they turn around and they spew disinformation, but to a judge, which is how I ended up with this crazy claims against me and the disproportionate sentencing by, you know, by Judge William H. Pauley III. I mean, the whole thing is one big giant fuck you so that they could end up going to Lowenstein Sandler, to Davis Polk. Another asshole ended up going off to Guggenheim Partners. I mean, none of these fucking companies or these law firms, these big white these white glove law firms should be hiring any of these prosecutors that sit there and tout a 98%, you know, um, conviction rate, conviction rate, because, right, because it's not about convictions, right? These people don't care about prosecution anymore. It's all about their conviction rate. And they're willing to send people to prison for absolutely nothing so that they can keep their conviction rate. The way. They're no better than the people in the, in the Trump administration. And as far as I'm also concerned, now that I'm working so heavily on um, prison reform, you know, I don't know if you know this, but yesterday I filed two writs against the U.S. government, against the Bureau of Prisons and Michael Carvajal, uh, who's the acting BOP director. At the end of the day, there's the First Step Act, the only bipartisan legislation signed in under the Trump administration, and the BOP, Michael Carvajal and his predecessor, um, Kathleen um, Hawk Sawyer, none of them have done a goddamn thing in order to advance it, despite all of the claims by Trump and the administration on how that they're so heavy into prison reform. He was only heavy into prison reform pre-election when he thought he was going to convince black, brown, and Hispanics right to vote for him because you know he's working on prison prison reform. He's full of shit. Michael Carvajal's full of shit. The whole entire First Step Act is pure garbage. And I'm now going to a federal judge, right? I'm here in the Southern District of New York, and I'm asking the judge to make the determination from how many hours equals to how many days off of a sentence. And that should help 153,248 
eligible wow, federal bravo. inmates. Yeah, but you Good know what, for AJ, you, Michael, that's really that's, great. Well, Thank you for doing that. Well, one thing prison has done is it puts a fire into your belly for sure. But, you know, as we wrap up the hour, AJ, my last question I want to bring up to you is I wanted just to switch gears also for a moment and discuss the so-called COVID whistleblower, Rebecca Jones, who has recently become an Internet celebrity and also raised hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, walk me through what's at issue here and why you have gotten so involved in the story. What about this in particular has gotten your ire? Oh, <laughs> I hope I'm not involved in the story. I wasn't trying to be involved in the story, but I did tweet about it um, quite a bit one of these days um, just because, um, you know, I tweeted about it and then people started tweeting a lot back at me. So then I kept tweeting about it. But um, it just kind of, um, the you know, grift or anything that seems like a grift to me um, because of Trump world and the, um, the enormous amount of grift that surrounds it um just gets under my skin and when i saw that um i don't know what happened with her whistle blowing i personally don't believe she blew the whistle on anything i have yet to see like what data it was exactly that she has shown that the state of florida was hiding and by the way i'm not a fan of desantis um but i also don't think that should make me a fan of of this person um so i just didn't like the level of gofundme raising that was going on if you have a gofundme is for something specific Great, like an ongoing litigation, and this is the amount I need. Great, but just here, donate to my fund because you hate Ron DeSantis. Irks me because there are people with, um, you know, my somebody saying, you know, my, you know, my brother. You know, I saw an African American family on GoFundMe. Um, they had just had a picnic to try to raise money to bury a young man um, in their family who had died. And that killed me. And they had raised like a few hundred dollars. And then this woman is here claiming she's a whistleblower um, and raising, I think it was like $500,000. Like it was 200 and something in one GoFundMe and 200,000 in another. So I'm not part of the story, but I just, we need to stop grift or what appears to be grift wherever we see it. And that just irked me. It irked me that there are so many people just looking for a thousand dollars so I can get, you know, so my dog can have his broken leg surgery done. And here, this woman, what is the justification for $500,000? Tell me, show me why she needs $500,000 and why you all are donating. Yeah, it. I'm going to start a go. I'm going to start a GoFundMe so I can get that new PS5, which is impossible to get. That's, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, you know, I don't like to say this, but this kind of seems a little weird to me too. So, but I didn't mean to be part of the story. I just have a big mouth and. I uh, can't control when I... One of the things that I actually cannot wait is finally for the administration to be out. Um, very interested in who's going to be the next attorney general because this individual is going to have yeah. their hands full. I mean, just take a look, for example, at all of the whistleblowers that are, you know, attacked. Whistleblowers are essential. I mean, look at, like, for example, Reality Winner and what they did to her. Not only, you know, is she not going to be I'll give you an example. With my two writs that I was talking about, I can't afford to hire a lawyer for it. Now, I am a lawyer, or I was, because now I'm disbarred, but I'm doing it pro se. And I've never, I've never been a criminal lawyer, so I really had no idea what I was doing. A document that a qualified lawyer would do in two, three, four days took me two almost three weeks, you know, to prepare. But I think the papers are great. I asked a couple of friends if they would be kind enough to look it over. I filed it pro se, and I'm going to 
my hope is it's going to effectuate a change where the BOP is finally going to do what it's mandated to do under the first step back and get their shit in, in gear. But somebody like Reality Winner will not be able to benefit from it because they charged her with treason. Yeah, that case is crazy. Yes, and that's why we need a new attorney general that's going to pick up what all of the Trump attorney generals have just loafed on. We have so much cleanup to do. Never mind even going after the wrongdoing. That's like a whole other department of, of, of to-do lists. There's just the cleanup of so much of the Trump administration has done wrong that needs to be fixed, especially on the legal angle. So you're absolutely right about the attorney general will have their hands full and hopefully a very large and very talented staff. But, but by the way, just a quick point on what you mentioned, because I found that funny because I often have to explain this to people. Um, by the way, you should start a GoFundMe for those writs you're doing, because maybe you, you could probably use some criminal legal help. And it sounds like really noble work that that's exactly what I mean, that that's the kind of GoFundMe that people should give $500,000 to not, not the Florida lady. But um, when you say, I'm, you know, I'm a lawyer, you were a lawyer, but I, it took me three weeks to do this writ. People don't understand that they think us lawyers, it's like, well, you're a lawyer and it's a legal document. So it's something obviously you can do. No, it's like an optometrist being told to perform heart surgery. It's a totally different field than what you used to do. And people tell me this all the time in the family law litigation that Miller has me going in endlessly going on three years now. Um, I'm not a family law lawyer, so I'm completely lost. And yet people think, well, you have a law degree, don't you? You're a New York bar attorney. Why is it you can't just represent yourself? It's it's funny that we always have to explain that. But So I totally see how that would have taken you weeks. Um, and if you start a GoFundMe, I'm broke as hell, but I will donate at least $20 to that because that is <laughs> yeah. worthy and noble and God's work that you're doing and helping to to pursue what's what's going on with those sentences and maybe fix some of those that you mentioned. So well, I'm gonna try I'm gonna try first to do it on my own, you know, on my own with my own brains and on my own dime, whatever's left. But I thank you, AJ, for your time. It's so good to hear your voice again. It's been a long time. Um, you know. Please stay safe. Obviously, we're all ignoring this idiot in chief with his, you know, refusal to acknowledge this pandemic. And, you know, I, I so cannot wait for January 20th so that we can finally get an adult in the White House and we can finally get our country back, the, get rid of this divisiveness and um, fix the pandemic. Thanks to companies like Pfizer and Moderna and thanks to guys like Joe Biden that's already mandated mask wearing for the first 100 you know, days of his presidential, um, you know, after his inauguration. So there is so much to do, but thank you for staying the course. Thank you for speaking truth to power. You know, thank you for your time today. And, you know, I want to wish you a, um, a Merry Christmas and a thank Happy you, Michael. And thank you for everything you've done the past couple of years. You took everything that happened to you um, with a lot of grace that a lot of people wouldn't have shown and courage. And you've apologized and done so much to right whatever wrongs it is that you feel you've done. And uh, you've behaved like a man, like an honorable man. So um, I want to congratulate you on that. And I really admire that about you. So I was thrilled to be on with you today. I haven't done an interview in four years now. I'm always turning down like I'm the NBC and whatnot. But then you called it. I'm like, wait, Michael Cohen, I'm, I'm going to sit down with Michael because, you you know, you deserve it. You're just you've been terrific. Um, as an American. So thank you for that. As an American to an American, thank you for all you've done. Thank you. I still have a lot more to do, but <laughs> I really appreciate it. All right, darling. Talk to you soon. And now for today's mea culpa. 
My conversation today with AJ has me reflecting upon my own sins committed to protect Donald Trump. If you've read my book, Disloyal, you will have read about the countless times I was dispatched to pursue the silence of young women like Miss Delgado. Whether it was a catch and kill scenario with a tabloid or the signaling of an affidavit swearing nothing happened in exchange for cash, my job was to make sure problems like this went away. The idea that there was a person on the other side of that NDA was completely irrelevant. They were a threat against the boss and needed to be neutralized or compensated. But AJ, to her credit, could not be bought. Despite the best efforts of Steve Bannon and a coterie of Trump campaign officials to harass, degrade, and humiliate Delgado into disappearing quietly from the campaign, Delgado held her ground and has stood up against an entire infrastructure created by the Trump campaign to neutralize and deal with threats toward the president and his minions. As the administration winds down, more stories will undoubtedly spill forth into the public record of lives destroyed and reputations tarnished by those who serve Donald Trump. I hope that each of them will not only see the light of day, but serve to dismantle the Trump legacy and puncture what remains of the cult. Moving forward, this show will soon pivot beyond Inauguration Day to become less a show about Donald Trump and more about the restoration of this country and accountability in politics. Key amongst that will be the prosecution of Donald Trump for his many crimes and trespasses and the airing of truth from people like A.J. Delgado, as well as those who will serve Joe Biden and bring this country back to a place of sanity and purpose. And thanks for listening. Maya Culpa is brought to you by LSJ Media and Audio Up, in association with Midas Touch, and it's hosted by me, Michael Cohen, produced by Audio Up by Jimmy Jelnick, and executive producer, Jared Gustav. And it's edited by Tyler Dawson. Please stay tuned as we focus on the changing political moment and this unprecedented transfer of power. I'll be with you every step of the way. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth. This is my mea culpa. again? Uh, 1240. Down at the end. Ooh, what's that? Sammy, don't touch that. That's someone's old food. Here we are. Do you have the key? You have both of ours. Oh, right. Not working. Rub it. Come on. Try flipping it over. Seriously. Why can't we go inside? Just Honey, let me try. I'm tired. Give me yours. You have mine. All right. What? Please, if you Dad, could just... Why aren't you opening I, the door? Can everyone just shut the... Don't go there. Go on a real vacation. Go RVing.